Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. The system I want to talk about is a little hard to name, but I'll call it Human Betterment System. Individual Human Betterment System. By this I mean the process by which a child is born, nurtured, fed, kept healthy, educated, which is about bringing somebody up to speed in terms of what knowledge there is in the world. Then they specialise, they develop a skill, and they use that skill to go to work and earn an income. And I would argue that if they're able to improve or better innovate the way they do that work, then they will accumulate more and more money, wealth, improvement during their lifetime. This might be social as well as financial, so that at the end of their life, their family is in a more pleasant position, a better position than it was at the beginning of that person's life. This is, if you like, a life cycle which includes betterment. Things are meant to get better. That's what we hope for in an ever-improving economy, an ever-improving world. Now, clearly, some people achieve this, and other people don't. Uh, there's the problem that I wanted to talk about. Why is it that it is not possible for everybody to achieve this betterment throughout their life. Some people will focus on world affairs, and I'm sure it's true that if a war appears or um, the famine appears, that it makes it very, very difficult for individual betterment to occur. But I like to see these as setbacks in the betterment system, rather than a, a sort of victim view of people where we're all victims to environmental, political, social factors. So what's wrong with this betterment system? What problems does it have? Well, not everybody can achieve it. There are clearly bottlenecks. There are numerous bottlenecks. Uh, a child can be ill. It can have inadequate health it, treatment. It can have inadequate education. It cannot realise that it needs to develop a skill. It can choose the wrong skill and it's not required or there can be so much competition that the chance of earning money from that skill diminishes. It can go out into the world and, as I say, war, famine and other things can destroy every good intentions they had. I do think Deirdre McCloskey is right on this, that... This betterment system has been in place for thousands of years, but people weren't very successful at bettering themselves, largely because they didn't place enough emphasis on actually improving what they do at work. So you get a skill and you go to work. Now, that could be as a farmer, and you could work very, very hard, bring in the crops, everybody eats, but there's no betterment because there's no improvement, there's no innovation. Uh, it's very important that mentally you see the, the task of living your life 
is to improve things, to make them better. And I think it's better if individuals take this on themselves rather than they think it's something imposed from outside. That if every individual looks around at their world, their life, their expertise and says, what's stopping me from making myself and things better? I need to focus on that. I suspect that decentralised systems better than having some central planner who's doing things like changing interest rates or whatever in order to improve your life. Not that they shouldn't do that. They're bettering their life and their system. But I think we've got to look to the individual to ask themselves how they can better what they do in order to better their lives. The most obvious way is to improve things is to either find more customers or to increase the number of exchanges. So the obvious ways for improvement, for betterment, are to become more specialised, that's more skilled, so people come to you when they have a particular problem and need you. Of course, you could get this wrong and become specialised at something people soon don't need. So you'd have to be able to move on to a specialism that they do need. The other thing is the number of exchanges, so the number of customers or the number of times a customer comes to you. If you're a farmer, that's whether you can sell goods all year round, whether you can take it to market, whether you can export it. It's a process of creating more volume in customers. I think this is true even if you do social work. If you become better at making people healthier, improving their lives, the more lives you can help, uh, the more exchanges of your skill onto others, the better for them and the better for you. Sometimes... Improving things can be simply a matter of building a shed so you can store produce uh, and even out the times at which you sell that produce. It might be an improvement in roads so you can get to market. It might be being allowed to travel, being allowed to help people without some authority checking up on you. The ways that you improve yourself are numerous and sometimes quite small. Of course, on occasions, you might need to band together with others and say, together we need to build a road, together we need to build a shed, together we need to do X, Y and Z, market our produce. Of course, there's community activity, but it, first and foremost, I think the individual has to think, what do I need to do to improve my lifestyle? Or if you're quite happy with the level of your lifestyle, how might I improve the lifestyle of others? The consequences of a, an understanding of life as being to strive to improve things is that things will improve, one assumes. And I think this has proven itself over the last 200 years. Improvement or innovation in, before 200 years ago 
was often seen as a bad thing, that people getting above their station, they're, they're troublesome because they're making suggestions for change. In a rigid hierarchy, having the underlings suggest improvements and change is a negative thing. But slowly as people understood that innovation was a good thing, invention was a good thing, science particularly discovered things and allowed the sophisticated, the well-educated, to be discoverers and improvers and to better understand the world. So I think a, a consequence of this improvement or betterment system is that a lot of people were, have been drawn out of poverty or out of very tedious lives. Of course, it can be argued that a negative consequence is that it's been hard on resources. I think initially we've, we've moved to a massive increase in population because people have got more food, they've got more health, and as a result of that, more children live, and families are still adjusting back to not needing to have seven children, that one or two is quite adequate. So one of the consequences of this betterment system that has been working quite efficiently for the last 200 years, I think a ballooning in population, which might well go down eventually. The evolution of this betterment system, I think, would focus on specialization and exchange or trade in our hunter-gatherer stage cooperation would be very very important poor humble little ape to be able to overcome much bigger stronger and more fierce animals this this requires cooperation in groups and very soon there would be a specialization in the sense of you know you do one part of the hunting and we do the other part of the hunting, we chase them, you build the trap, whatever it is, and a realisation that more and more specialisation helps the cooperation, it improves the cooperation process for better outcomes. The other thing is trade, as Matt Ridley points out, the more that you mix with other people and get their ideas, the more you make and exchange things with other people outside your family and group and country, then the more and more ideas come in um, and the, the opportunities and, and a, a mechanism for improvement because uh, the resources increase and the ideas for improvement increase. As I've mentioned, the evolution of attitude towards improvement and innovation has increased considerably, although I think this would partly be because hierarchies of old, be it church or the landed aristocracy or kings, would have blocked people trying to improve and better themselves. So it might have existed but been blocked and we've removed those blocks one could argue the Industrial Revolution was an important part in the evolution because it enabled a middle class to grow. Uh, previously, you had a landowning class and you had a peasant class, and the peasant class really wasn't able to make a lot of suggestions for improvement. The technical requirements of running machinery in cotton mills 
and that sort of factory situation meant that a middle class of, of technocrats, of technically competent, knowledgeable skills evolved, and they were free to make suggestions to themselves about how to improve things. Uh, so I think part of the evolutionary process has been the evolution of technology and a freeing up of a middle class that could increase that technology without being held back by a landed gentry which didn't have enough technical knowledge to interfere. And as I say, I think the scientific method or the Enlightenment would have improved the outcomes of innovation, the ideas for innovation. They would have been better thought through, better tested, better evaluated as a result of the scientific method, but also this rising middle class and the more well-to-do were doing science, which was an act of improving our understanding. So um, discovery and improvement was, was going on um, in the privileged classes. So the concept of improving our understanding of the world is remixed into improving our processes. I think Simon Schaefer's work on uh, the Navy improving its supply chain, I'm going back again to the 17th, 18th century, trying to build ships in large numbers quickly and effectively, required the building of supply chains, the improvement in the process of making and designing ships. Again, all that would be remixed back into people's everyday lives, that it was a good thing to be well organised, to improve the organisation, improve the supply chains, improve the product mix, improve the services being offered. Of course, warfare demands that, because the opposition will do it and they'll turn up and beat you. So what has learned from defence and warfare between, especially I think, between the European countries, which seem to be at war constantly, the idea of improvement in warfare could be remixed back in to improvement in trade and industry. And in fact, in the way the social world is operating. Under evolution, we need to talk about the selection process. So somebody would have an idea for an improvement, and that's a waste of time if it's blocked. If it's blocked due to some power authority or monopoly or ignorant person just saying, no, you're not allowed to do that. It might be a government regulation, of course. Uh, it might be blocked because it's physically not possible. That, you know, there's not enough roads or um, it's too heavy or something, which all, you know needs working on. Deirdre McCluskey's definition of a good innovation is a trade-tested betterment, meaning... You can't really talk about it being an improvement unless people like it, people use it, people take it up. It's not yet a complete idea until people buy it off you. If I was trying to undertake a, a scientific study of this betterment system, I think it would be important to try and identify the elements in it quite carefully. Um, you know, it... Is this person got the right access to health? Have they got the right access to uh, 
decent parents? Have they got the right access to education, to skills training, to an attitude to innovation? Uh, are innovations blocked? Do they have sufficient power to enact these things? Um, we can look to see whether all these elements were present and working for particular individuals. I think first and foremost, of course, the individual themselves must understand that this is the system for improving their lives or for living their lives. I think these sort of studies do demonstrate the importance of health and education, which is why a lot of countries now like to offer those as social services, as you know, free government services. I think also that entrepreneurship and recognition of inventors and people who have made improvements, it, this is a side of society of cultures which in the West particularly has grown very significantly, trying to divert people from even public sector jobs into entrepreneurship has particularly accelerated, I think, in the last 10 or 20 years. The other scientific perspective of numbers, quantification, I expect the statistical offices of most countries do collect nearly all the statistics we need on whether people are getting wealthier, healthier, you know, are bettering themselves. Whether it occurs on an individual level or a collective level can be a bit blurred. Sometimes... Things like immigration can up the uh, GDP overall, but decrease it at an individual level. I think it's important these statistics be at the individual level. Of course, the statistics measure income inputs and outputs, rather. It can't measure things like a mental attitude to uh, betterment, um, how people are sense-making their own lives, how they're sense-making, how they might improve their own lives. Although I think a lot of people understand, look, if I want to improve my life, I have to go back to school and become better educated. I would rather there was a bit more emphasis, especially for a lot of teenagers, on skills. I need to develop a skill. Very pleased to hear very successful doctors and scientists say that they understand that what they needed to do when they were teenagers was become very good at something, very useful at providing a, a service that people were willing to pay for. Even medicine is included in that. So under the sense-making perspective, the concepts in use here for this betterment system are clearly one of improvement of skills, of specialization, of exchange or trade, and of individual effort. This is to be contrasted maybe with another system where people are more seen as pawns or victims in a, an environmental system. So then the concepts in use would be um, central planning, redistribution, care for the disadvantaged, taxation of the rich, and being looked after by others or the government. An ironic perspective on this betterment system would be that I suspect a long time ago 
that when people weren't quite so controlled by hierarchies, this was fairly natural. I think for a period of time, especially when you've got a strong religious groups and strong uh, landed gentry or elites, king, kingship groups, there would be a lot of oppression of people being able to or allowed to do these things. I think education has been obviously a very important part in this. So there's a, there's a paradox that if you left people alone, they might well have done it, provided they had sufficient life experience. Uh, and we've come back to that. It's now we've released people to get on with what they might have done naturally. I think countries like Venezuela are paradoxical. They were very successful, had their uh, oil. I know the oil prices dropped, but they moved from a an individual betterment system to a federal being looked after betterment system, which then failed. So the, the government is now not really in a financial position to carry and help people, which is annoying, of course, the people who have relied on that system. Another paradox, I think, is that if you better and better and better yourself, you could quite well end up as some sort of monopoly or dictator or controller of the market and then you would act to block other people from improving things. We now live in a world of disruptive technology which knocks that over a bit but there's a there's a bit of a paradox that if you're over successful you could become the blocker to other people. So I would agree that you need some sort of control of one person growing into too strong a position. There's another paradox in that this system assumes people are healthy, well-educated, have the right mindsets. We know that there is a percentage of the population who really cannot help themselves. They need helping. There needs to be a safety net. They need protecting. I think it's just too easy for a lot of people to get into that safety net when they should really have uh, put more effort into trying to sort of better their own situation without help from a lot of other people. I'm reminded again of the old Lutheran theme, don't give somebody welfare, give them a job. There's another paradox in here that I can recognise, which is that I've talked about the importance of specialisation and individualism. Now, the, and this is a, there's a contradiction there, isn't there? Because the more you specialise, and the whole world is specialised now, Again, as Matt Ridley points out, that even making a match, there's nobody who makes a match. There's somebody who cuts down trees, and somebody who makes cardboard boxes, somebody who makes phosphorus, someone who works the machine, there's someone who drives the truck. Everybody is specialised. Nobody, or very few people, now make a product from go to woe. We, we've all taken over some specialised job. So this system, individual system of betterment, is sort of ironically sat in a, everybody else is doing the same thing, and if everybody specialises, they can better themselves in individualistic ways. Again, I, the basis of everything, and it keeps coming back, is cooperation. There needs to be this interaction between people uh, to make the whole system work. I think even competition can be understood to be cooperation. If two football matches, uh, football teams 
compete. They've got to cooperate in so many things, the rules, the timing, the way they play. Um, so underneath all this is a community cooperation ideology. The questions perspective of what needs to be done, why and how, I would have thought the first thing that needs to be done is to simply make people aware of the system, of, of the betterment system. Uh, anybody who has children needs to explain to them that they you know, go to school in order to get up to speed. They then need to specialise because that's how they're going to create wealth. They have to choose something they're interested in and generate more knowledge than the average person so that they can attract a salary, be that as a, as a doctor, as an engineer, as an accountant, as a shopkeeper. They've got to develop a skill uh, that makes them above average. Of course, some things you have to be very, very skillful at. Uh, if you're doing art or um, some, I would have thought, acting. You, but other things you just be moderately skillful at, uh, bookkeeping or shopkeeping, and you can make a good living at it. But it's understanding, getting people to understand that they need to develop a skill to earn a salary. That's where their wealth comes from, their knowledge, their skill. And then get them to understand that just treadmilling isn't enough, really, whether they run a ship, a, a ship, a shop, or they're a doctor, they should be thinking to themselves, how can I improve this? How, how can I make this better for everybody else and myself? How can I innovate here? Uh, small improvements is all we're talking about. It doesn't have to be anything too clever. But it's, it's that attitude needs to be explained to people. I think also what needs to be done is people to be much clearer about how exchange, trade and specialisation are how the world got out of poverty. Nature left human beings in a very raw state of I mean, ignorance, poor health, a lot of death around and misery. Uh, we don't want to be too idealistic about um, what it's like to live in a state of nature. If you come back in 1700 and looked around at the world, I think you'd be a bit shocked by how miserable life was, how much disease and, and hardship there was. So appreciating that really just taking money off rich people and giving to poor people is not a, you know, an economic development plan. The economic development plan is specialisation, innovation, trade or exchange. That's the way wealth is created. Of course, it gets called materialism by some, which is a bit unfortunate because it's, it's almost discouraging a development of trade and specialisation. So my argument is that we can improve things by working at an individual level and we've got to think of things like wars and famines and I suppose ignorance generally as blockers to that that need to be moved out of the way. Now the counter argument of course has been well stated um, particularly by those wishing to distinguish between different types of people the rich and the poor suggesting that the rich are oppressing the poor 
I'm not saying they're not, but I think the poor must think of ways of breaking that. I agree that passing laws to stop it, if you're getting exploited by somebody who's getting, you know, their betterment system is that it's costing you your betterment system. I think oppression should be understood to be one group of people who pass laws or have the power to stop another group of people from bettering themselves, that's a bad thing, an evil thing, should be stopped. It increasingly should allow people to better themselves, to, to compete. To understand capitalism as oppression strikes me as problematic, if, depending on what you mean by capitalism. If capitalism is increasing amounts of trade and specialisation and innovation then surely that must open more and more opportunities to people. So I think what we're arguing against here is people not being allowed to better themselves rather than saying that something like capitalism or, or large business is in fact oppressive to the workers. That it might well give them opportunities when one thinks of the so-called sweatshops in China and people saying this is dreadful, people are working in dreadful conditions for very little money, you then find there's a queue of people desperate, in fact, bribing their way into these sweatshops. You realise that a lot of people think, well, if I work hard and do this for a few years, I'll save a bit of money and be able to afford a house or my own business. That the oppression at one level is in fact providing opportunity. If I accept this oppression, I can better myself because, in fact, there's better money in the sweatshop than there is in not being in the sweatshop. And we, this comment has been made about the Industrial Revolution. These factories were meant to be dreadful working conditions, but people flocked in from the country to take these jobs. People pushed hard for their children to work in factories, partly because... Life as a peasant was worse than it was as a factory worker. So we have to be careful, you know, about simple statements of oppression. The dreadful cotton mills of the north of England, in fact, provided a lot of opportunities to people to get away from the famine and hard work of the agricultural peasants and an opportunity to better themselves into the middle classes. But it was, of course, very hard, oppressive work. So the counter-arguments, what I say, would include a, a statement of, of observing inequality and people living privileged lives because they had wealthy parents who hand down privilege to their children. I think the focus rather on whether we do have equal amounts of money is again misdirected. I think the focus should be, does everybody have an equal opportunity to improve themselves, to better themselves, to do what they want to do? Is there something blocking them from taking actions that they would like to take? Of course, those actions they like to take should not upset or harm or belittle other people. Under the metaphor analogy perspective, I think I've gone through what would be the opposite of of the betterment system I've outlined here. But again, I could see nature and evolution as 
an analogy to what I'm suggesting. I think a tree, a plant, or animal species, the idea of randomly putting out changes and seeing whether that works or not, I agree that the tree is not doing it in a purposeful way, but it's very similar, I think, people are not only genetically involved, evolving, but in terms of ideas, suggestions, improvements, that every little individual is putting out a suggestion for how they might improve themselves, might adapt better to their environments, then there's an analogy there with you know, genetic evolution, with, I think, human or intellectual or cultural evolution. Okay, so in summary then, I'm arguing that we can fight against poverty by an individualistic attitude towards betterment, to improving your own lives. I know some groups are very good at getting together and discussing how each other might improve and better their lives, be these business people or social workers or anybody really, just even social groups. I think some people get excluded from that attitude. They get a little bit blocked they understand their life to be gaming, you know, receiving money from other people. Of course, betterment is a gaming. You're, you're gaming the environment for your own betterment, but hopefully not at the expense of somebody else. This betterment doesn't always have to be financial. You might reach a point of financial comfort where you say, well, now I want to better myself and my life by travelling or by having a nicer garden or by helping my friends and relatives or even helping strangers. Betterment doesn't have to be financial. But I think this striving, this giving your life a purpose of trying to better something or other is, is most likely not only you know, useful to keep yourself sane, but very important for ri rising the whole world out of poverty. And there's a, a lot of the world that needs raising out of poverty at the present time. Thank you.